0: Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm so glad that you joined us here. I hope you're having a blessed day wherever you may be in the universal church. Well, let's turn to scripture and the gospel of St. Mark to hear from Jesus on the necessity for watchfulness. But of that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father take heed, watch and pray. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cock-crow, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Again, the words of our Lord from the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 13, and a reminder for all of us, and I think the, the thing that I want you to take away from this conversation that we're going to have with my friend Ken Litchfield, is to live life in a state of grace, always being ready. You know, you always hear the term, have your bags packed, and what that means is that uh, we got to think of the afterlife, memento mori, remember your death. It comes so much quicker than most people expect, and we've just got to be ready to have that encounter with Jesus Christ, especially now we have a lot of, um, you know, these stories and rumors of war, uh, talk of the end times, the end of the world. A lot of this has come out, so I was really glad that Ken Litchfield came to join us to talk about the rapture, and it's more of an introductory discussion about this. Uh, Ken's got a lot of great resources on the rapture, and there's a lot of great Catholic resources online that you can find. Uh, in case someone ever challenges you about the rapture and the end times and how the Catholic Church views it. But there's, like I said, a lot of great material to debunk any myths when it comes to the end times. Now, there's a lot of technical terms that uh, come with the the rapture that I was researching. Uh, One was dispensationalism, uh, millenarianism, all kinds of different terms. We don't get too technical in this conversation, but you can find out a little bit more Uh, when you go online and do some of the research. But this is, again, just meant to uh, really explain why the Catholic Church does not believe in the rapture as it's presented by some Protestant denominations, but it really points to the reality that we are technically in the end times ever since Jesus died and rose again and went into heaven. We're in the end times right now, but it's also a reminder for us to make sure that we're in a state of watchfulness and readiness in order to encounter Jesus. Whether the end of the world comes tomorrow, it could come tomorrow, but it also probably a better chance of us coming to us personally and having that individual judgment when we pass away. We don't know when the hour is or when that date is, so we've just got to stay ready. So again, Ken Litchfield, a great friend of our podcast. He's been on a few times before. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, Ken Litchfield is a Catholic apologist and author, including a book that we talked about uh, way back on episode 37. It was called, How Old Is Your Church? An introductory Catholic apologetic guide. And Ken has a lot of great resources on how to explain common objections to the Catholic faith. And we're blessed to catch up with him again. So welcome back to the Catholic Connect podcast, Ken Litchfield. Hi Dave, thanks for having me
1: back. Really enjoy doing this kind of stuff, and I'm honored to be invited back by you.
0: Oh, and it's my my blessing too. I really appreciate this, Ken. And uh, I'd be remiss to say too that we had another conversation about uh, the development of the canon of Scripture as well uh, about a year ago. So it's it's great to have you on, Ken. I definitely consider you a, a friend of mine and a friend of our shows too. And uh, a lot of our listeners have some some great feedback and how much they appreciate uh, the work that you do in the Vineyard of the Lord here and uh, helping other people understand the faith a little bit. And maybe that's something we can start with. I know we've talked about it before, but you've got a great ministry where not only do you help people here in North America and Canada and the United States, but you also help with apologetics with the folks from the Universal Church all over the world. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh,
1: it really has opened up my mind you know, to how big the Catholic Church is when uh, hmm. I get questions on Facebook from... Catholics, you know, in Africa, Ireland, Pakistan, Australia, as well as the U.S., Canada, Europe, Russia. Uh, I have a group I get together with, you know, pretty much every week from Pakistan um, where we discuss, you know, questions about the Catholic faith. Because in Pakistan, it's predominantly Muslim, but the Christians that are there, you know, are still divided between the various protestant sects of christianity and the catholics and they even have some orthodox there um, and so they get together and discuss the faith um, over there in pakistan the different christian groups do
0: yeah that's uh that's great and another thing too ken that some people might not know about you but you're just like a lot of our listeners like myself as well Regular working man, you go to work every every day, and you do do what you need to do, right? So it's not something that you do full time. This is something that uh, is uh, a labor of love and and a vocation for you as well. But uh, maybe tell us, listeners, too, about how important it is for us to learn our faith even away from what we would normally do on our on our nine to five job. You know, we have families as well, but there is a, a time that we need to do uh, to focus on learning our faith a little bit more, so that we can share it with others.
1: Absolutely. Uh, our Most of us cradle Catholics, you know, went through our CCD program and got our sacraments, um, but we didn't learn that much about the faith, you know, whether it was taught to us and it didn't stick or we just uh, didn't get it in the beginning. Uh, and as a cradle Catholic, you know, born in 61 and going through catechism in the 70s and 80s, you know. I learned more about my Catholic faith in my world history class than I did in catechism. So when uh, I started, it was actually the rapture that got me started as a Catholic apologist. Uh, I dove, after reading the left behind books, I dove into the rapture theology and uh, Scott Hahn and Tim Staples saved me from falling into the rapture trap. Uh, But by studying the truly early church fathers that they mentioned um, connected me to other Catholic apologi- apologists and so I started listening to YouTube videos by all these different Catholic apologists and while I was working and so I gained a whole lot of knowledge while I was working and then I started answering questions uh, for anti-Catholics on Facebook and I started saving my answers, and that has become what I now call my apologetic pa- package.
0: You know, and I think there's a that's probably a separate conversation for us, Ken, is how to respond to uh, to anti Catholics or anti Christians online. Uh, that takes a a, a certain degree of, ch- of charity that's probably higher than what I have right now. So I appreciate you doing that for sure. And uh, you know, I think that you know when you think of when you're you're a child and. Some of us do have, a lot of of us have parents that really cared about their faith, really loved their faith and taught us what they could about uh, the church and about a relationship with Christ. But it's something we got to foster on an everyday basis. That starts first with prayer and having that prayer life so that we can be in conversation and communication with the Lord and hearing what he has to say. But uh, also there's just so many great resources now, isn't there, Ken, where... We can uh, listen to podcasts like this one, hopefully, <laughs> and we <laughs> can also, you know, read the Bible. We can read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and there's a lot of other great books as well. And um, it's like anything—you got a garden of some sort. You gotta, you gotta make sure it's it's watered, and the, no different than the seeds of our faith, right, Ken? We've got to keep that, uh, keep it watered, keep it nurtured, so that it can grow uh, into for us to be the the person that Jesus really wants us to be. And that's uh, being a light of uh, Christ in this world for sure. So um, interesting, you talk about the rapture and that was the uh, the left behind series that kind of got you into apologetics and and asking you some questions about your faith. And mine's a little bit similar too, Ken, because this was back when I was a, a teenager in my 20s, uh, I had a few of my Protestant friends and some people of goodwill that would bring up the rapture, but not specifically the rapture itself and and the ins and outs of um of the end times and the end of the world, but really from the perspective of scripture and saying, Hey, you're a Catholic. Why don't you believe this? And, you know, they would point to a couple verses in the Bible to say, well, you know, why don't Catholics believe the rapture? It says it right here, uh, as some Protestants do, uh, with certain other topics as well, as we know. But, uh, that's good. What kind of helped me get into my faith a little bit more as well as to say, well, what does the church really teach about that? So, um, let's talk about specifically, the rapture when i when i hear the the term i think of a couple words i think of the tribulation i hear uh a thousand year rain uh being raised up into the clouds those are some of the things that i think of but uh what are some of the things that come to your mind ken when you hear the rapture and uh where did the the, the term first uh come to be i guess
1: okay well when somebody mentions the rapture uh, you need to clarify with them Uh, Most people are referring to what is known as the pre-tribulation rapture, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a common uh, theme in evangelical Protestantism uh, where you confess Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Now you uh, are guaranteed to go to heaven. And then as a bonus, they throw in the rapture where before everything gets bad here on earth, You know, Jesus is going to pluck you off the earth, and then the tribulation will start for all the the bad people left behind on the earth. So it's a real easy sell for people, you know, to be guaranteed salvation and avoid all the tribulation. However, uh, when somebody says that they believe in the rapture, first you have to nail down with them whether they believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, the mid-tribulation rapture, or the post-tribulation rapture. Mm. Um, So, once you get that clarified with them, most likely they're going to tell you that they believe in the pre-tribulation rapture.
0: And are there certain um, sects, I guess, or certain um, denominations that would believe uh, post-pre or or right in the middle of the tribulation, what, what what's the, is there sort of a dividing line or is there one that you said maybe before that the the pre-tribulation was how most people uh, would interpret the rapture. But uh yeah, is there, is there a bunch of different denominations that believe something different?
1: Right. Uh, most Protestants, well, okay. All the Protestant sects that started before say the mid 1800s, um, don't believe in the rapture mm-hmm. so uh that would this be is a new phenomenon yeah right so that would be your lutherans your uh, anglicans the methodists the presbyterians um now the anabaptist movement did start um before the rapture te- before the 1800s however since baptist churches are generally independent might be long. They might belong to a conference, but each Baptist church is, you know, able to believe and or teach whatever they choose to teach. And because of the seminaries that a lot of the Baptist tre- teachers go preachers go to, uh, most of them do preach the Rapture. It's a common thing amongst Baptist churches. Um, but the. Older Protestant denominations, like including the Church of Christ, you know, even though they started in the mid-1800s, they don't teach the rapture doctrine. Uh, And even the early ones in the 1900s, well, like the Jehovah Witnesses, they don't teach the rapture, but, uh, you know, Assembly of God uh, and Nazarene sects, you know, they may teach the rapture so when you're talking to a protestant you got to find out you know what they teach at their church but pretty <laughs> much if you're talking to a lutheran they're not going to be teaching what the rapture or a methodist or an anglican like that
0: all right good to know what about mormons what do they believe uh when it comes to uh the rapture if anything
1: yeah they don't teach the rapture doctrine um because they're trying to get you prepared to have your own planet and your own
0: (laughs) be your own god of your own universe you know so something else going on there right right. well i think is it safe to say too that maybe some of these newer denominations that they they used the rapture as uh, well especially for against catholics to to point to scripture and scripture alone and uh, and as a recruitment tool as well you know Um, sometimes it's uh, it takes a little bit of fear too to to bring some people into uh, into a certain uh, denomination or a certain sect of some sort, is that uh, what the the approach was on this? Or you know, because sometimes we hear in the Catholic Church, oh, it's you know, you guys have these man made uh, theology or man made traditions of the Catholic Church, but this seems to be uh, you know the pot calling the kettle black in some ways, isn't it?
1: Right. Uh, these the new rapture tradition um, they generally point to the Catholic Church as the, the Church of the Antichrist, um and the Pope being the Antichrist. Uh but if you do a little digging in church history, you know, um both Luther and Calvin thought that the Pope at their at their time was the Antichrist. And um mm-hmm. they would like expect the rapture. Well the end times as shown in the book of Revelation would, you know, come from should have happened at that time in the 1500s if the pope was the antichrist
0: yeah and while i was doing some uh, some research on this i found uh i found a, a book that was called 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988 apparently this is like a a huge bestseller back in the day so of course we know that that was just a little off the plate but uh when it comes to, uh, and, and again, we don't want to say we're condemning non-Catholics or anything like that. It's just more for us to explain the um, the Catholic teachings on this so that people, Catholics and all people of goodwill that listen to this podcast can kind of have a better understanding of the uh, the teaching itself. But um, the, the roots of, of anti-Catholicism seem to be... Uh, in the rapture in some way and you already mentioned that you know the the pope has something to play with this the church in general has something to play with this but um is there something to be said for that uh that that kind of divide of uh, us versus them you know the catholics are the problem you know here uh you know the horror of babylon for example being referred to as the, in the catholic church in the book of revelation by some uh protestant denominations but uh yeah, what's, uh, what's the motivation behind that to really drawing a line and saying that, you know, it's really, you know, Catholics are a part of the, uh, the problem in this whole thing. Right. Well, Protestants do kind of have a
1: problem in that, you know, they don't have a unified theology. So in order to promote um, Protestantism, you know, they need, like, a bad guy to say, like, okay, those guys are wrong. Come to our church because we're right. And so they use the uh, the anti-Catholic stuff um, that's supposedly backed up by the Book of Revelation and the, the Antichrist and the Whore of Babylon and all the bad things, you know, and they'll connect dots together together you know, saying, well, you see this event in Revelation, well, this is actually this part of the Catholic Church and things like that. Um, But it's, you know, if you just dig a little deeper, you find out that, you know, it's a misinterpretation of the book of Revelation and not the Catholic Church has a better answer than the made-up answer the Protestants propose.
0: And the Catholic Church does have a lot to say about the end times, right? And and even something like the tribulation, we do believe that there's going to be a tribulation. So maybe let's talk about that. Uh, uh, certainly the, the church is not saying that there there won't be uh, some real uh, nefarious times and some battles that we're going to have to uh, to go through. Uh, but talk about the, the tribulation because maybe that could be a place where we could find a little bit of common ground.
1: Right. Uh, well, the Bible tells us a lot that we you know in many many places that we will suffer tribulation um let's see so like the bible what the thing that protestants do is like they talk about how we're not appointed to god's wrath and then they connect god's wrath with the tribulation so um they think that all the tribulation events are God's wrath being poured out on the earth, but since we're not appointed to God's wrath, those things must apply to somebody else. But the Bible does tell us that we will suffer tribulation. Um, in First Thessalonians chapter three, Paul tells us that we will have to endure tribulation, and in John chapter sixteen, it says. I've said this to you, that in me you will have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In Matthew chapter 24, it says, we will have to endure the great tribulation. And in Acts 14, 22, it says, strengthening, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. And saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So there's plenty of tribulation um, taught in the in the Bible, and the early Christians had to suffer a lot of tribulation under the Roman Empire um, before Christianity became legal. So the idea that uh, Christians will avoid tribulation before Jesus' second coming Um, is quite absurd if you use the whole Bible. Only if you cherry-pick verses here and there can you say that, you know, we can avoid the tribulation because God will always protect his, you know, faithful servants.
0: Yeah, and thank the Lord that we've got uh, the church to help us with Scripture and helping us understand it. We also have the Catechism of the Catholic Church, right, Ken? And and it's got a lot to say about the end times. And uh, from the Catholic Catechism of the Catholic Church from reference number 675. I thought I'd read this really quick, Ken, because I think it ties in nicely with the scripture that she referenced. So it says, Before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-Messianism by which man glorifies himself in place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh. And there's more to say too, and we might get to to a few more of the uh, references as well, but um, I think that ties in real well with uh, the uh, Scripture verses with the Tribulation as well, right? Now, we talked about, you know, throughout time, a lot of our, our Catholic brothers and sisters that have gone before us, they've gone through some pretty rough times as well. Um, is there anything that, uh, and I mentioned that book there, that uh, I, I certainly don't recommend anybody getting it because obviously it's not uh, the most uh, historically accurate, but is there a, sort of a, a timeline that some of these these newer um denominations that still believe in the rapture that they kind of still put out there and say you know the end of the world is going to come here or the rapture is going to happen in this timeline because there's also scripture and even our lord says himself that uh, no one knows the time uh, or the place or when it's going to happen but we know the end is coming we just don't know uh, when that will be so there's all these predictions out there i guess from uh from various people but Is there still that segment of of these uh, denominations that say, well, you know, the world's going to end this year, the world's going to end in 10 years. Is there still a lot of that going on?
1: Yes. Um, There's been predictions of the second coming of Jesus, you know, as far as back as 44 AD. Um, And a lot of people, you know, because the book of Revelation talks about the uh, thousand year reign of um, Jesus, you know, at the, so they thought around the year one thousand that Jesus would be coming back because that was the end of the church age, um, which is, you know, mentioned as being a thousand years in the book of Revelation. Now, a little uh, known unknown thing about um, the thousand years is that for the Jews, the number ten was the number of completion that's why the 17 13 to 17 commandments depending on how you look where you look in the Bible are condensed into ten commandments because that's like the number of completion now for the Jews since they didn't have ways of um, expanding their words like you know good better best uh, they would repeat them uh, multiple times to for emphasis so 10, times 10, times 10, is the fullness of time. Mm. And so that's where the thousand years come from. It's 10, the number of completion, times 10, times 10 again, for the fullness of completion of time. So people read a thousand years and thought it was a literal thousand years, but it really just means the fullness of time. So Mm -hmm. that's why they were expecting... Jesus to come back around the year 1000. Um, However, as early as the late 300s, Augustine was referred to the thousand years um, reign of Jesus here on earth as the the church age, the time that the church exists on the Mm. earth. And Jesus is the Mm. one that tells us that, you know, no one knows the day or the hour that Jesus is coming back. Only the Father.
0: And I'm glad you brought up Saint Augustine because as I was reading a little bit about this last few days, it seems that he had a lot to say about this. and And I was curious to to see what your thoughts were on him saying that the thousand years is the reign of, of Christ and the Church. When when he says that, does that mean it's Christ in the Eucharist, and that, or is it just the Church and the presence of the Church, uh, Christ's bride? Um, and and having a significant impact on the world. Is that kind of what he was meaning by that?
1: Right. The the church age is the the time that the church, which is the body of Christ, as well as the buildings um, here on earth exist. Um, Mm -hmm. And for as long as we're here waiting for Jesus to come back, the church age will continue here on earth. And then Jesus will come back at some point, and set up his, uh, the new heaven and the new earth uh, and that will begin his reign here on earth then. Uh, But because of the numbers in the Bible, uh, in the book of Revelation and in Daniel, you know, predicting uh, the, the destruction of Jerusalem and things like that, people think that, you know, there will be they try to use all those numbers and then come up with a time of Jesus coming back. Uh, Most recently there's uh, a guy who was, um, basically like from the the time Jesus ascended into heaven uh, back to 1968 BC is like 2000 years. And that was, um, the different uh, pre-Christ covenants. And so he is predicting like 2000 years after Jesus ascension into heaven will be Jesus second coming. Mm-hmm. So that gives us until like 1933 or, or 2033 or 2034. But uh, considering they've been wrong on all these predictions before that, you know, I'm not counting on it. What we Catholics always teach is that we should always be prepared to be called home to Christ every
0: day. 100%. That is the most important thing for sure. And I do want to talk about that as well. But, uh, for, first uh, you mentioned the early church fathers too, and there's just so many great nuggets of, of, um, uh, wisdom and teachings from them. And I'm, i it seems like every day I'm finding out more about, uh, uh, the greatness of these men and uh, how they set us up for where we are today but what did they have to say about the end times i guess obviously they wouldn't have called it the rapture back then but there was no real misunderstanding or there was no um evidence of the early church fathers holding to something similar to what uh you know people talk about the rapture today would there be anything like that
1: um let's see the justin martyr who wrote around 150 ad Uh, We have a writing from him called Dialogue with Trifo, who was a Jewish rabbi, and uh, he wrote about how, you know, he expected Jerusalem to be rebuilt, but, and some rapture believers will say that, you know, Justin Martyr believed that Jerusalem would be rebuilt, And then the Antichrist can come there and defile the temple and then Jesus will come back. Um, But again, you know, we have to, and um, Justin Martyr was talking about how he expects that the city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt and it has been sort of rebuilt. Uh, There is still no temple there uh, and many rapture believing Protestants, you know, support israel because they want uh the nation of israel to be able to rebuild their temple and because that's part of the timeline that they believe you know for jesus second coming we have to have the temple there Mm -hmm. for it to be defiled by the antichrist for jesus to come back Mm -hmm. so it gets very complicated when they're they're trying to you know connect all that together um But just because Justin Martyr believes that uh, Jerusalem will be rebuilt doesn't mean that, you know, it's part of the rapture timeline. It's just, you know, he expects that at some point there will be a new
0: city of Jerusalem. Right. Okay. Well, we talked a little bit about the tribulation, the 1,000 years. And what about the uh, being raised up into the clouds or, or taken up what about that portion, and is there anything that uh, about that that is uh, something that Catholics can hold on to, uh, or is that uh, a reference specifically to the rapture?
1: Right, um, rapture believers. You know, one of the first things they'll point to is in the First Thessalonians chapter four, um, and they start at verse thirteen there, where it talks about yeah the coming of the Lord. But we would not have you ignorant, brethren concerning those who are asleep, that you might not grieve as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. For we declare to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the archangels call, with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Nowhere does this chapter tell us that Jesus returns to heaven after catching up the people that are caught up to him in the clouds. That's not in the Bible. Um, So, and also it talks about how the archangels will be blowing trumpets, um, but the typical uh, pre-tribulation rapture idea, especially like in the Left Behind books is like, All of a sudden, these uh, Bible-believing Christians just disappear, and their clothes are left behind. Um, Right, that's depicted in
0: movies, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. There's (laughs) no trumpets sounding. There's no dead people coming out of the graves, and that's what you know. First Corinthians chapter four talks about. It's like the dead people coming out of the graves, Mm -hmm. and that's not in the movie.
0: so, and Saint Paul associates the the trumpet blast with the resurrection of the dead and the final judgment. Is that fair to say?
1: Right. You know that's yeah. Jesus. You know second coming, the final return of Jesus, or well, Jesus' return to Earth. You know Jesus is only coming back once. He doesn't come back like halfway, you know, almost to the Earth and catch up all the believers and go back to heaven. He comes on his way to Earth those that are believers uh, can be caught up to him, but then they're going to accompany him down to the earth. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's comparable in our modern times where when a, well, let's think about it in the time of Jesus, you know, when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, many, many people came outside of Jerusalem to greet Jesus as he was coming into the city. And we read about, we learned about this on uh, Palm Sunday when Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem, and it talks about how they laid their cloaks on the road, and then they started down putting down palm branches. And we have to remember at that time they didn't have paved roads; they were like you know dusty paths. So they put their cloaks uh-huh. down to keep the dust down, you know, as he was coming through into the city. And then they put down palm branches for the same reason, to keep the dust down. Because otherwise, Uh. you know, they'd all be in a cloud of dust (laughs) and uh, be coughing and everything and not be able to see anything anyway. So that's (laughs) why they, they did what they did. But anyway, they went outside the city to greet him. So believers in Christ will be caught up to Jesus as he's coming down to earth. Um. So we Catholics can believe in that catching up as being taught in First Thessalonians chapter 4, but we'll be caught up to Christ and then come down with him to earth as believers in Christ. And then Jesus will uh, set up his new earthly kingdom here on earth. Then.
0: So for those who believe in the rapture, do they believe that they're raised up in the clouds and then they would avoid the tribulation, and then they would come back down with Christ for the the official second coming, I guess, when Jesus actually clears the stratosphere and, and descends to earth. Is that what they believe in?
1: Yeah, Generally, your pre-tribulation rapture believers will say that, you know, before the seven-year tribulation, um, Jesus will come down into the stratosphere, uh, catch up all the believers, go back to heaven, all the people left behind here on earth will have to go through the tribulation. Some of them will convert to the rap up into Bible-believing Christians. Um, and then the seven-year tribulation um, time frame is generally broke up into three and a half years of tribulation and then another three and a half years of great tribulation. And then they will then after the great tribulation, Christ comes back to set up his earthly kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's generally what Protestants, um, the rapture-believing Protestants will believe, that they'll avoid both of those tribulations. Some of them, you know, because the Bible teaches that we'll have to go through tribulation, um, they believe that, well, they believe in what they call the mid-tribulation rapture, where Jesus... um, after the first tribulation, the first three and a half years, Jesus will come and catch up his church and the uh, believers in Christ won't have to endure the great tribulation. And those mm-hmm. are what they call mid-tribulation uh, rapture believers.
0: Well, let's stick just with that, uh, the topic of being, of arising from the dead. I mean, There's a a pious tradition in the Catholic churches, you know, Ken, that, uh, and I think we've abandoned it, unfortunately, is remembering those in purgatory, the holy souls there. But, uh, at the end, uh, that's why cemeteries are sacred spaces and, uh, why we should insist as Catholics that we get buried in a Catholic cemetery so that we can get, receive the blessings from a priest or the faithful that come and pray for the souls of those who've departed. But, uh, Every cemetery is going to be a pretty interesting place at the end, isn't it, Ken? Yes. <laughs> Probably the most uh, incredible event ever will happen at the end when Jesus comes back, his second coming for the final judgment. When I look at that scripture that, that you were referencing there and uh, being raised from the dead and the faithful being uh, rising up with Christ, is that a reference to those who are saved, those who are, who are holy? Um, In the church, we also believe at the second coming that those who are left on earth that are still alive at that time, um, those who are faithful, they obviously wouldn't have to go to purgatory because purgatory will be, will be gone at that point, right? Either you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. Um, Is that what that reference is? Is that uh, uh, the holy, so those who are still left on earth will, will be, uh, well, they're not going to rise out of a tomb but those who are in heaven already or in purgatory at that time, are, are they the ones that are going to rise first from the tomb and from those cemeteries and are, are going to be raised up with Christ before everybody else is judged? How is that, uh, interpreted in the, in the church?
1: Right. The, yes. Believers that are buried in the cemetery, you know, they can be caught up to Christ, you know, as he's coming down, um, at his second coming, um, I don't believe the church has an official teaching on, you know, whether all the believers will be caught up um, or whether everybody rises from the dead at that point. Uh, the, let's see. In Revelation, it talks about how even the sea will give up its dead. So all the people buried at sea, uh, you know ships that sank at sea or, you know, sailors, people in the Navy or whatever, that were buried at sea, or their whole ship went down. Um, all the people that sunk with the Titanic, you know, they will, they their bodies will come up out of the sea. And uh, I believe it's in First Corinthians where it talks about how after Jesus' second coming, coming we will all get our uh, our bodies that will last forever, basically, uh, our incorruptible bodies. Mm. and the the good people our incorruptible bodies will continue to live on in heaven and the bad people their incorruptible bodies will continue to exist in hell um so their torture will well their pain in hell will exist forever
0: not only in their their souls but also in the body as well right Exactly, boy. That's going to be a, an incredible day, isn't it, Ken? And that's why we've we've got to live in a state of grace, so that uh, that when our our bodies are reunited with our souls, uh, that we'll be we'll be going to to heaven and uh, enjoying our the beatific vision of Jesus Christ.
1: I do have the quote from First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen about our imperishable bodies and things like that. So, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, we find this. Um, starting at verse 50 what i am saying brothers and sisters is this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable listen i will tell you a mystery we will all not we will not all die but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So here Paul is telling the Corinthians that, you know, when Jesus comes back, they will get an imperishable body.
0: Yeah, that's powerful, isn't it? It's just so powerful and uh, something that we can all have a lot of hope in Christ and uh, looking forward to those those last days, whenever they come. And I think that it's important to that. Uh, I mean, good grief. We've, we know exactly what fear is like because that's what a lot of people have lived in the last couple of years. And I certainly don't want people to be scared, but the, the last, the four, the four last things are something that we need to meditate on, especially now as we record this, it is during Lent, but it's uh, something that uh, we should be focused on throughout the year. Right, Ken, as uh-huh. the, is uh, that, uh, Death is uh, certain, as, as we all know, but also judgment and the reality of heaven and hell. Those are the four last things. But if we live in a state of grace, we have no reason to be afraid of that. And I think that, and it's not something that's uh, only reserved for some of these Protestant denominations that believe in the rapture, but even us Catholics can get caught up in end times prophecy. You know, when is the end going to come? And I think it's fair to say, Ken, that we shouldn't despise prophecy, that we shouldn't necessarily ignore everything that's going on. We know that there's legitimate, uh, for example, uh, uh, messages from the saints or what they've seen uh, approved from the church. Also, that uh, Mary has come and appeared to people on earth here where which are actually legitimately approved by the Catholic Church, and the messages are something that we should certainly ponder and think of. But we also have to look at our everyday lives and how we're living with Jesus and journeying to eternal life in a right relationship with Christ. So I guess in summary, Ken, what would you say is something to, to Catholics and to, to non-Catholics about understanding the end? Because the rapture to me, it almost seems like it's uh, it's something that can really consume someone, right? whether I'm going to be lifted up in a cloud or not, am I going to have to endure the tribulation? But is there sort of a hopeful message that we can give to most of our Catholic listeners, but we do have some non-Catholic listeners, which is a real blessing, but to give them some hope as we, uh, because we're in some troubling times right now, aren't we, Ken?
1: Right. And, you know, troubling times have come and gone uh, in the Middle Ages, they had the many great plagues throughout Europe. And, you know, some people thought that, you know, those troubling times were when Jesus was going to come back. Um, and then, like, throughout the World Wars, you know, people thought that you know these are troubling times that Jesus might come back. Uh, but as Jesus reminds us, nobody knows the day in, of the hour or the hour, and that we do have to endure the tribulation. Um but the Catholic Church teaches that Jesus can come back at any time. There aren't a specific mm-hmm. sequence of events that have to happen before Jesus comes back. So that's the reason that we need to always keep ourselves in a state of grace mm-hmm. so that um, when we die, we're going to face judgment and then we'll be heading for heaven or hell after that. So We always need to keep ourselves in a state of grace. Some people think, you know, well, you know, I'm just going to live my life the way I want to right now. And then, you know, as I get older and closer to death, then I'll get right with God. But you never know when you're going to get run over by a truck or a bus or, you know, step in the wrong place and fall off a cliff or something. So that's why we always need to be prepared to be called home because we don't know what kind of tragedy might happen that, you know, ends up killing us and then we have to face judgment and it's like oh yeah I was going to get my life right before this happened and it's too late then.
0: Yeah, At the end of the day for the second coming there's going to be a very small amount, a very very small percentage of people that will be alive for that second coming but we do know that the last judgment, our prudential judgment, our individual judgment uh, will ha- can happen at any time. There will be a day that will be the last time we wake up in the morning and uh, we've got to be uh, ever aware of that and always have that before our eyes. Now, if uh, if someone that, comes, uh, that believes in the rapture comes up to a Catholic and says, what do you believe then, if not the rapture, what do you believe in when it comes to the end times? And how would you respond, I guess, as a Catholic to that, Ken? And would you maybe put a little bit more emphasis on what we just talked about, just living every day, according to God's will, pursuing one's vocation in life and making sure that we're in a state of grace. Is that how you would approach a, a charitable answer to a, a Protestant that believes in the rapture?
1: We Catholics, you know, we believe that Jesus can come back at any time. There isn't a, a sequence of events that ha- has to happen before that. Um, and, you know, we can always, a rapture believer, you know, might point to First Thessalonians chapter four. So all you have to do is open up the Bible with them and have them read that. Uh, and if you refer them back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which was written about the same time as 1 Thessalonians chapter four, you can talk about how uh, the last trumpet is when Jesus returns. Um, mm-hmm. and you can show them in first Corinthians or first Thessalonians chapter four, that it doesn't say anything about Jesus returning to, to heaven after coming down to the stratosphere and catching people up. It doesn't say that. In there. So we need to reemphasize with them that we always need to be ready to be called home to Jesus, uh, because we never know when our time is going to be up here on earth. Uh, and for people, I don't. I say that for people who have cancer, you know, they might think of that as a terrible thing, but when you find out you have cancer, you have time to get your life settled and get yourself right with God, um, so that you can be prepared to go to heaven when you die. Um, for people who live like pagans, you know they need to you know sometimes it takes a critical moment like that for them to want to get themselves right with god Uh, because once you know once you realize you're going to be facing that judgment after your death that can inspire you to want to get right with god then but for those of us that know we need to be right with god at all times uh, we good catholic christians need to keep that in mind at all times.
0: And Jesus mentions it uh, several times in the Gospels, uh, I was thinking of the the parable of the the man that was filling his grain, or he's full of grain, right? But right. Uh, Jesus says, you fool, uh, this night is uh, your life is going to be called, you're going to be called from this life, and you'll have to go to the judgment seat. And uh, so all, that, uh, all those bushels of grain that you have and all the, the riches that you've built up on earth aren't going to matter too much when you're, before the throne of God, so I think that's practical advice. It's biblical advice, and it's something that I think all of us can uh, learn from, and we can uh, apply to our everyday lives: is to to live every day like it's our last. And that's why it's so important as Catholics, and uh, for us to receive the last rites. You know, even if we're if we're sick or if we're going into a surgery, uh, as Catholics, we know that that is so important for us to receive uh, the uh, the sacrament of, of extreme unction and uh, to, to receive, uh, you know, go to confession, to receive communion. We call it viaticum, uh, that last uh, time that we receive Jesus. And it's such a, a great grace, isn't it, Ken? That not everybody gets to to have but it's something that we, we can pray for every day as we meditate on the four last things that we can have that grace and uh, we can ask the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary who wants to bring us to her son all the time. And that is uh, certainly something that's uh, very noble and uh, very um, uh, very virtuous to to pray for uh, those graces to receive before we die. So, uh, Ken, this has been a, a great conversation. I, I'm always interested in in talking about the end times and uh, and specifically something when it comes to apologetics and with the rapture and how we can explain our faith to other people. And uh, I think it's also important now because. We live in such an edgy time, don't we, Ken? Everybody is kind of on edge. There's uh, seldom is there any good news days, is there? Uh, but, uh, you know, to give the hope of uh, Jesus Christ and, and how much he loves us and how we could be an example as Catholics to others, to, uh, to pull them out of this, this culture of fear that we live in and uh, bring them into a culture of, of hope and of joy uh, that comes from Christ. So can, uh maybe remind our listeners where they can catch up with you. We have got a lot of uh, fans of Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I was mentioning to you offline that uh, I know you're on uh, Gary Mashuda's program and you're a frequent uh, visitor there as well, but where else can people catch up with you uh, if you're not a, a, appearing as a guest on a radio show, but where can they get some resources from you?
1: Sure. Uh, you can look me up on Facebook um, and... My book, How Old Is Your Church?, has uh, 25 of my most popular writings. Uh, My apologetic library is now up to 250 writings, so there's like 10 times as many as what's in the book. And uh, if you send me an email at KenLichfield61 at gmail.com, I will happily send you all 250 plus of them for free, and uh, you will have plenty of material to read. Uh, also, I have many YouTube video playlists on different topics. So, uh, if you're just getting started in apologetics and you have time to listen but not so much time to read, you can look on my YouTube channel. It's just Ken Litchfield, and you'll see lots of different topics. You know that you can listen to a bunch of different videos on, uh, and you know that way you can get the knowledge into your head and then you can use that knowledge to explain to other people.
0: Well, it sounds like we've got a a big pool of topics that we can pick for the next time we chat, Ken. I hope we can do it again soon. Uh, Thanks for your time, and uh, God bless you, my brother.
1: Thanks for having me, Dave. I really appreciate this opportunity, and uh, I'm blessed to serve other people because... I know on my judgment day, God is going to tell me, you know, it's like, I showed you all this information. What did you do with it? Mm -hmm. And so my job is to bring the message of Jesus to other people. And being on shows like this with you is one of the ways I do that.
0: Well, big thanks to Ken Litchfield again for joining us in this episode of the podcast. Talk about the heart of someone who wants to evangelize and share his faith with other people. And again, Ken, is uh, not a professional theologian. He has not uh, hold a doctorate, at least that I know of that he's told me. Uh, He is just an everyday gentleman that's doing some great work in the vineyard and he just uh, loves his faith. He loves to share it with other people. So, uh, so happy to have Ken on and look forward to sharing another conversation with Ken with you in the near future. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Please drop a line anytime to me. I love hearing from you. And remember to subscribe and to share a review on your favorite podcast platform, whether that is Apple or Spotify, we're all over the place. So thank you very much for your support and thank you for listening so much. It really does mean a lot to me. And let's continue to pray for each other on this journey to heaven. It's not always easy, but uh, it's going to be worth it in the end. So let's do this together. And remember that I think with the end times and even the rapture, even though prophecy is a good thing, it's, uh, it's good to have in the back of our mind, especially when it comes to the four last things, things we need to meditate on, the reality that we will die one day. But it's also just as important to not get too absorbed with that in our lives. We need to live our life today for Jesus Christ because we don't know if we're going to have tomorrow. So the most important thing that we can do as Catholics is to live life in a sacramental state of grace. And if you're not a Catholic, I'm inviting you to join us so that you can also take part in the beauty of our sacraments and the beauty of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to change your life forever. I promise you that. So Catholics, let's receive the Eucharist worthily as often as we can and live life in a state of sanctifying grace by going to confession at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.